Welcome back to Planes, Trains, and Automobile Days, where we will cover the Thanksgiving classic, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, one nerve-wracking day at a time. I'm Sean. That's your cue, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry, sorry. All right, we'll edit this in post. And I'm Brian, his brother. And, and back with us once again is our very special guest from the Bat Minute podcast. It's Niall McGowan. Oh, hi, guys. Uh, I should fully confess that, like, actually, I did, you know, I did leave. And then Sean and Brian started, like, reminiscing about what we were talking about throughout the first podcast. And they're like, I think Niall might not have a family to go back to. So they've invited me back <laughs> for, for this episode. Yes. Well, the thing is, I actually do totally have a family, but I couldn't turn down the invitation. So. <laughs> no, I just, yeah, I, I, I just turned on the mic and then I could hear the breathing in the background. I'm like, Niall, are you. You still there? Um, so uh, I've always it, been here, Sean. Yeah, I mean, Niall had told me he hasn't been home in years, and I finally figured it out. Yeah, we, we pieced it together the puzzle. Um, so, uh, so what we decided to do to 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 <laughs> to make make Niall feel uh, welcome was uh, to go over. There's a deleted scene, which is uh, funnily enough uh, one of the things we talked about. Uh, covering the three days of planes, trains, and automobiles is um, how much footage John Hughes took, and how the, the script was longer, and all the shooting was longer than than a typical uh, typical comedy. But on the on the Blu-ray, there's only one deleted scene. So there's only one deleted scene of of all that that uh, that we've actually seen, and that uh, takes place during the first day, and it's on um, on that first flight that Neil and Dell take. And uh, so, so, Brian, why don't you give us, uh, for folks that haven't seen us, kind of give us a little summary well, what's happening here. So they are already sitting. Uh, Neil is back in coach next to Dell. And the Dell is, is schooling him on the food of airlines and how to order properly if you want the best food, which actually is true. In my recent flight... You get your food first when you have specialty, and it does look a lot better. I don't know if you guys had ran into that if on any of your flights, but Dell has a big point with ordering kosher, ordering vegetarian, ordering the seafood salad. The, the thing is, like, I've actually never had airline food because I've never oh. been on a flight that's lasted more than like three hours. Oh, so it's never wow. been imperative for me to uh, actually. Uh, order food on on the plane, and I think I feel like I'm missing out because I always hear about how terrible it's supposed to be. And it's like, oh, I should really. I've never had hospital food either. It's like, oh, like uh, there's so much comedy I could be getting in on by knowing right. how bad this food's supposed to be. You need, yeah, just for the joke. So we'll we'll um we'll have to fly you over for the next uh, right. podcasters get together that we have here. Well, in the, the it was originally all all set to come to Denver, and then I actually had like a really nightmarish plane debacle in Munich. I went to um, went over for a friend's bachelor party in Munich, and it uh, wasn't, you know, a particularly good trip. Thankfully, like, the wedding that followed was amazing, but, like, the, tr the bachelor's party was a disaster, and they, we got stranded in Munich for an extra day, and at the end of it, because of all the additional costs and stuff, and just the, the trauma of it, I had a kind of, like... If I go over to Denver and then something like this happens, <laughs> yeah. like I, I won't be able to afford to go home. Like I would be stuck because <laughs> right. this was like an additional like 200 quid to buy a flight back from Munich. And it's like to get over to Denver, like, oh, like on short notice, yeah. that'd be like a grand or something. It's like no mm. friggin way could I afford it. So but the thing is then, so at that point I left it 
And then when the meetup came, I was I kind of got into a much better headspace. And then I was just look, seeing all the photos pop up, and was like, oh. I really should have gone to that. <laughs> but next year, for sure, next year. I'll definitely, next year. Definitely, there'll, be, definitely. there'll be another one. But uh, yeah, I also I I have been on flights that are long enough to uh, to to get a meal, but I don't fly often enough. Maybe once or twice a year. So I'm certainly not at the Dell level where I can I can tell you which airlines and and what you need to order and all that stuff. And that's one of so this this would obviously be early on in the movie and an early indication of what kind of road warrior Dell is. So obviously this is someone who who has traveled a lot. I suppose nowadays you could probably you just google it. There's probably a well there's probably a podcast that you can listen to that will tell you, oh, if you're flying this airline, you know, this is what you should request. But but back in the uh, it's called the airline food minute, airline Airline food minute. Yeah. But uh, we we did say in the other episode that Dell probably would be a podcaster these days. Here it is. This is what he could have been doing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Airline uh, restaurant reviews or food reviews. And yeah. it, the scene really does show again what we've said that Dell knows what he's doing on the road, and and just Neil is just a mess. I mean, the food's terrible. He doesn't even eat it. I believe he does give all the food away. Yeah, yeah. In the end, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say that the whole thing, the fact that Dell's able to come out with all this sort of stuff. Once again, it actually reminded me weirdly of Fight Club. It's it's kind of like Ed Norton's. You know, his mm-hmm. thing about it, he had to fly from place to place and he has and the narration is all stuff about like this is, happens in this location, this will happen in that location. And, you know, si- single serving soap, single serving shampoo and the people you meet in the flights, they're your single serving friends. This, this, this is the kind of vibe I got from him being able to go like this is what you get in this airline. And this is what you get in that airline. And this is the best thing. you're gonna. It, it, it really once again, I think we were trying to dismiss the idea that Dell was like a Tyler Durden-esque figure, but this, the spirit of Fight Club lingers in the deleted scene now. Like either that or that movie Up in the Air with George Clooney, where he's like like hired to go hmm. fire people yeah, because companies yeah. want they can't just do it over email. They need a personal touch to the hire Clooney to do it for him. And he has pre-prepared sort of like he knows exactly what he's doing in every flight and what to get and how to store his ties properly and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> Well, I, I I don't know if we want to completely write off the the flight club theory because if 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 memory serves one of the one of the things I brought up is at the end when Neil introduces Dell to his family they all see Dell as well and yeah. I brought that up as sort of supports the supports the fact that no Dell is a real person but what if Neil's family they're all imaginary too. <laughs> They're all in his imagination. He's just he's just introducing one imaginary friend to another kind of thing. I mean, what if Neil is the one without any family and his wife was the one that died? Yeah. yeah. The, the, he, he's projecting his problems into this character of Dell. And then like the the last shot of the movie could have been like him and then like Steve Martin in an empty motel wearing like Dell's mustard shirt with a bow tie. <laughs> and just, like, I'm- realizing, oh, my God, the whole thing's been in his head. The thing is, though, would you really, you know, if that was me, I'm not so sure I'd be projecting John Candy as as the alter ego. <laughs> well, no, because that, that kind of makes sense when you have that kind of, you know, what I've learned from movies, my, my extensive medical degree that I have watching crazy people in movies is when you have that kind of psychotic break, the different fact, the different fractions or the different parts of the personality, they kind of completely take one aspect. 
So Neil is completely uptight and reserved and very closed. And the Dell part of his personality takes on the loud, boisterous, outgoing. That's why they're such opposites, because he's completely cleaved that part of his personality and thrust it onto this. I mean, we assume kind of Neil's the the original person and Dell is he's kind of pushed all that aspect of his personality onto the the Dell persona. Yeah. That'd be yep. an even weirder <laughs> twist, though, of, of Neil was the <laughs> imaginary figure. Exactly. And then Dell was just like, why would I ima- imagine this curmudgeon the asshole? <laughs> and now, about this, the actual scene, I, like many deleted scenes, I think this was cut for a good reason. It It is funny with some of the mishaps that happen, but it really just delays the movie, they, they, instead of just them getting stranded once they land, I mean, they're just they're just delaying the inevitable. Yeah, I think it's. it's I don't think it really serves uh, any point. Like, it doesn't show you much other than that Dell is a great road warrior, which we already will see, and if I think we have seen, without think, this scene necessary. I think it's a, um, it's it, it, it's prime deleted scene, mm-hmm. in that it's actually it's pretty good. But it is completely superfluous. Like, right. There is literally yeah. the one thing I actually kind of enjoyed about it that's, and I think maybe it would have been a good thing to cut is that I think it almost undermines the growing tension between Dell and Neil, and just just in that they actually kind of seem to get on in this scene somewhat. Like, mm-hmm. and it's the thing I always enjoy in, in things with like people who don't get on when they when they get on for a little bit. It's just more the fact that like Dell's nattering away but then neil actually engages him in the conversation when he says like well what do you think this was and it's just that little olive branch there it's like oh mm-hmm. maybe he is he's, he's it gives you a little bit more tolerance than in the finished movie where it seems like he doesn't want to have to talk to him at all rather yeah, than voluntarily he, engaging him in a conversation and he gives uh, him the food i mean it's you know it's, it's a gesture it's a friendly gesture all in yeah. all i have to say though looking at the meals on display here I, I was very baffled both in the choice of drinks for both characters because it seems like uh, Dell's having a, he's having a Miller quite mm-hmm. uh, Miller beer very blatantly there, and it's like, I think I can't drink beer with food. I don't think it goes together. I don't know. Would you? Do you guys have any particular personal policy on drinking beer with food? I think it does go actually uh, with a lot of food. I, I don't drink it, but I I don't see it that out of place in the movie. Mm. Sean, well, no, it you... definitely suits Dell because you see him drinking all the freaking time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not a big beer drinker. Um, I'm not, and I'm not a big drinker in general. But uh, I prefer, you know, you know, like just rum or whiskey on the rocks, or you know, tequila. I'll, I'll drink, you know, kind of sip something straight up. Yeah, if, if I'm in a situation where I feel, um, you know, I just need something to take the edge off, and and all they have is beer, then uh, then I actually prefer it with food to kind really? of. Well, it, it kind of goes on the one hand, the food kind of to cover the taste because I don't particularly enjoy the taste of beer. But the other hand is um, I find beer very filling as, as a carbonated mm-hmm. beverage. So yes. if I'm, you know, if I'm trying to reach an inebriated state and that's why I'm drinking the alcohol, if if I eat, I'm not going to be able to drink very much. And I find like one or two beers beyond just judging my tolerance for alcohol, just my my tolerance for the amount of, of things I can fit in my stomach. Mm. <laughs> so, that, uh, yeah. I think that's what actually puts me off it, though, is because it's very, beer in itself is very gassy. 
Mm-hmm. It's very yes. like it'll fill you up. And so I think it, yeah, when you're trying to eat and then you have a very, very heavily carbonated drink on top of that, like you can, I can tolerate like a you know Coca Cola or something. Yeah. The beer is even heavier. Right. It just well, feels it, like you don't feel well after you eat. You're just like, no, yeah. this is all too much. And then so, add to it the the flight because there's pressure changing. So. I find, you know, gases are going to be coming out anyway. Yeah. Just a okay, change of pressure when the plane goes up. And now, oh, we're just going to add more gas to the system well, a, with the carbonation. Uh. That's a potential scene that John Hughes is missing out on right there, of having <laughs> all the gas come out of Dell while yeah. Dale's stuck next to him. <laughs> Can turn but, into uh, like a Mel Brooks scene. Yeah. yeah. I think it, rem- it always really reminds me of like when I was in university and I was living in a shared house with some friends and we uh, bought every season of Six Feet Under. And I remember we used to think that Nate and Six Feet Under was the coolest. And then he always had a beer with dinner. And we tried doing it, and it never worked out. But he was doing weird things. He was having like a beer with like pasta and stuff. And I was like, this, Ooh, is, this, this is not... Carbs on Yeah, carbs. That, that would be... Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, Nate was like pretty shredded, too. It was like, I don't think, this, I don't think Six Feet Under <laughs> is an entirely realistic show, quite frankly. <laughs> you should not be basing your lifestyle on, on Six Feet Under. It's like I spent so many years learning that. how to be a friggin' mortician and now <laughs> to find out that this was all a waste of time. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I wanted to back up. Um, there's, there is one thing that I think we get in this scene that we don't necessarily get um, elsewhere in the movie. And it's actually, and it's not from Neil or Dell. It's so, uh, so the beginning of this scene, everyone's already seated and we see a stewardess with the, the food or the drink cart making her way up the aisle. And, you know, people are poking at her. They're poking at the cart. We see there are people like waving empty coffee cuts at her. And then finally she just, she's had enough and she just has to, she just says, all right, all right, I'll be with you. And then she just says, listen up, everybody. If you don't all stop asking for stuff, nobody is getting a thing. So she just had enough. She just wants to quiet everyone down so she can just, you know, make her way up the aisle. And and the thing that I don't think we get elsewhere in the movie is that all this calamity is happening. It kind of gives us the view from the other side. So when the plane gets diverted, yes, there's all these passengers trying to get home and they're inconvenienced. But there's a there's a flight crew also. And whether they were live, you know, whether they live in Chicago and this was the end of their day and they were flying home or they were going to get on another flight for their next job, like they're inconvenienced. And when the train breaks down, there's the train conductor and all the people working on the train, like they're not getting where they need to go either. So yeah. this kind of gives us, you know, that that this that the inconveniences and the hectic and, and everything that's going on to, to Neil and Dell is also happening to Everyone on the other side as well, the the stewardess and the pilots, you know, they're all getting delayed and, and rerouted and, and so forth and so on. And um, so we get a little bit of that from, um, you know, from the stewardess here. She's trying to get this drink service over with. Yeah. That, uh, I don't know if we, 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 we don't get as much from the rest of the movie. So <laughs> that little bit is lost. I always kind of thought that, well, let's say I always thought I've only just seen this deleted scene <laughs> since you sent it to me. But... Um, it's. I, th- I think it's. It's very strange in that it's so weirdly kind of quiet. Like I assume they were maybe in post they would have added in loads of like people going miss 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 maybe mm-hmm. like vocally hounding her. There seems to be a lot of poking. And I thought I think nowadays too you would not get away with that just poking a freaking stewardess to get her attention. I'm pretty sure that that would be kind of cause for you know if not harassment then you know you right. should be, you shouldn't be physically touching anybody <laughs> with a right. poke if you don't know them. 
but uh, yeah, I just thought it was, it was quite strange that, like, that they're trying to convey that she's so overwrought that it's all quiet, though. It's just people non-verbally sort of doing things. I, I think that's just the times. I mean, back from 87, I, I think that's just the, the filmmaking technique. Today, it'd be much uh, busier, I, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, you know, I think yeah, it would be much louder. I think yeah, they're having people do hand signals just because on a, you know, on a regular plane, you wouldn't be able to hear any of this. It would yeah. just be too noisy. Um, another thing I noticed is... Um, so it opens up, the scene opens up, we're kind of looking down the aisle, we see all the people seated, we see the, the stewardess and stuff. The overhead bins are very shallow. This, I'm assuming this is not a real plane, this must be a set just for filming, so you can see the people and you can see their faces and everything, whereas, you know, normally you would just see overhead bin, yeah. you wouldn't be able to see them. Mm-hmm. That's one of those things, now the, the overhead bin is, if you're on a crowded flight, it's like a race to get on that plane to make sure you get the space to <laughs> yes. be able to fit your stuff in on top of that thing. And, uh, I've, I've, I've always been successful, except one time where I had to actually freaking put the, the the bag under the seat, and that was not comfortable. I'm pretty sure I wasn't doing it correctly because it was jutting out, and I just had to sit the whole flight with my fingers <laughs> crossed, hoping nobody said anything. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you're supposed to do that. No. Well, but, yeah. <laughs> that's not like Ryanair is going to come kicking them out. We fired you out, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I think they've got bigger bigger issues right now. <laughs> they're, they're a very petty airline, though. <laughs> if they could find me for that, I'm pretty sure they would track me down for Like, yeah, you owe us 50 euro for that. I'm pretty sure. Did they go through – have they gone through or do they um, – do you know, they, they do they charge to use the restrooms? On the plane? No, they don't think they got away with <laughs> that, that. There was a lot of stuff that they've pitched. That, that was the line. You can't do. Yeah. It's basically, it's like friggin' humanitarian rights have been defiled on, yeah. on Ryanair <laughs> these days. Uh, like, there was a period yeah. where they were actually talking about, like, uh, putting in, you know, like when you're on a bus, there's those little hooks that you can, you're going to stand on a bus and just like, yep, I'm just standing. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of, they were, Ryanair were going like, yeah, we can fit more people on. If we just put stand. little hooks and people just stand there. And it's like, yeah. you can't do that. That's You know, there's a, there's a whole reason why the aerodynamics of a plane works and why you can't overcrowd it and stuff. And, <laughs> and yeah, there's well, yeah, like, some like whole dodgy you... thing now where they're like, you used to be able to bring on one small bag. And I think they're trying to make the bag smaller. So they're trying to, mm-hmm. if you think you're going to get away with it, no, you get there. Like, no, you have to check it in. And well, you know, there's a 40 pound charge and stuff like that. And. Oh, it's a it's a joke of an airline. <laughs> yeah, that sounds bad. Um, so one thing I was wondering: so in this scene, Neil's kind of poking at his very disappointing meal, and Dell is going over, um, you know, the the finer points of what you need to ask for on each airline. Great line, by the way. He's like seven hours ago <laughs> explaining the food. Yeah, seven hours ago it was lasagna, but with delays, they heat it, they reheat it. Um, <laughs> So so Neil eventually gives up. He he's, he you know he can't eat what used to be lasagna, and then Neil or sorry Dell takes what he calls a bun. Yeah, I thought this was the thing is I would call it a bun. You would then, call it a bun, okay? But the thing, yeah, let's do this, and it's like I thought Americans refer to those as biscuits. Yeah, either well, I I I looked at it and I would call it a roll. Or yeah, a roll is what like I would a dinner call roll. It. Yes, or yeah, or a biscuit. I guess it could be. Well, I, th- I think of in Asian cuisine, there are buns like steamed buns that are kind of that thing. But the rest of the well, it's lasagna is his entree, which is you wouldn't really have a roll Italian. 
Mm. Um, but the thing yeah, is, so I, uh, Dell also has a bun with his seafood salad. So I think it's just mm-hmm. like, yeah, the bun just comes with everything, it looks like. Yeah. Um, so maybe uh, so maybe Dell's been to uh, to Ireland or the UK recently. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, so that's why he's calling it a bun versus what I thought would be a roll. Mm. So we have the. I think that would be qualified as a bun because it's a little bit smaller. If it was wider, it would be a bap. Is the, thing, uh, is the term. But a lot of these things are interchangeable. Like <laughs> people will just sort of get what you mean. There's no like diehard. Like yes, this is exactly what that definition is. But yeah, I, I, I look at that and I was like, yeah, I'd call that a bun. But then I know my dad mm-hmm. or something. He would call like a donut a bun and stuff. Like it's it, it, well, it, no, it's, it's got one, a hole in it. It's not a yeah. bun if it has a hole in it, right? <laughs> yeah, but I think I just see it's any sort of uh, any kind of pastry, like any sort of sweet pastry. He's like, yeah, it's bun. But the thing I just I don't know if that's I don't know how they do things down in Donegal, but apparently that's the way it goes down there. Uh, <laughs> All right. I think actually, I, you know, again, I'm talking about uh, Dell drinking the beer with his food, it looks like Neil's having coffee with his dinner. Yeah, which again seems that that's very strange to me as well. But like, why would you want a hot drink? Like again, that's the thing my dad does. He'll have tea with his dinner, and it's like I don't know. You need a cool drink with your with a hot I don't know. meal. See, I, I mean, I don't prefer uh, hot drinks like that, but I think it's pretty common. Sean, what do you say? <laughs> I'm the tiebreaker. Yes, I, I. You know what? It's this is so foreign to me that it never even. Uh, yeah, I. It didn't even occur to me, um, although I, yeah, I didn't particularly notice the the drink. Yeah, I a hot beverage with a meal. It's uh, yeah, no, I it's not something I do. I do a, even when it's cold, even in the winter, I will yeah, cold beverage and then tea or you know the hot beverage sort of after mm. um, when when people usually drink coffee. But yeah, a hot beverage with a meal, I kind of a uh, yeah, that it's is weird. kind of strange. It's weird though, like I can accept it with. Like a breakfast meal. If you had some sausages and bacon, a bit of eggs, and some toast, then you can serve coffee or tea. That seems acceptable to me. But as soon as it goes beyond that breakfast menu, mm-hmm. if it approaches like, oh, that's the thing. Even like a sandwich, I get kind of like, yeah, I could imagine having a sandwich. But then it depends on the on the type of sandwich. If you were having like a ham sandwich, ham and cheese, and you had a cup of tea with it, I'd be like, okay, that makes sense. But if you came in from Subway... With like a meatball, <laughs> like hoagie or something, yeah. I'd be like, and I had a cup of coffee with it. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's yeah. bizarre. Yeah. But the fact that yeah, lasagna with coffee seems that is an odd thing. Yeah. And also, it's um, you know we don't know exactly what time the flight eventually took off, but we do know it's evening. Like, yeah. why is he? He doesn't need the caffeine. He's going to be up all night, and then if it's decaf, well, why? Why bother then? What is yeah. he? What's and going can, on with this? Yeah. That's what was just literally. That was like you'd have the water, but then you don't want to have that water that they're offering them or something. <laughs> like it could have been. Yeah. It just like maybe or maybe that is a cup of water that they've given them. <laughs> it's yeah. It started off as water, but seven hours later, well, yeah. when water's good anyway, because just the 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 flying the air is very dry. It's a dehydrating experience to fly, so you should be drinking water to to stay hydrated, not not drinking coffee. <laughs> it always reminds me though of my my brother. Um, he. His trip to New York, he had about like fifteen or more years ago, and this is the main leaving anecdote that he had was uh, on the on the way to the airport. They're sort of milling around, and he was literally down to like his last couple of dollars, and he was just like it was a really scorching hot day, and he's like, oh, I could buy a bottle of water, but then it came across a one dollar peep show, 
And he's like, the thing is, when I get to the airport, they'll give you water on the plane for free. <laughs> but they won't give you a peep show on the plane for free. Yeah. So he, eventually he waited up and he's like, I'm going for this peep show. And he just said it was the most depressing thing he's ever seen in his life. He went, and apparently he didn't even like stay for more than a couple of seconds. But he said it was even more depressing after walking out of it was a guy, you just seen this guy, like this janitor shuffling into the booth he was in with like a mop and a bucket and he's like you don't need to go in there dude like nothing happens oh my god <laughs> welcome to america <laughs> that's the thing now if i go over for this uh, movies by minutes conference next year i'm like is there any of these one dollar peep shows around i've heard so much about them <laughs> well i'm yeah I, I, well there would be because the um I don't think it's officially announced yet, but there's been some buzz, as, as they say in the biz. Uh, there's been some buzz that it might be in Portland, Oregon. That's uh, what I've heard, August. yeah. And, uh, and I haven't verified this. I haven't checked this myself. So, uh, you know, hold your, your calls and letters if, I, if I'm wrong here. But uh, I've heard Portland has the, the, the highest per capita rate of strip clubs, like the most strip clubs of any uh, American city. And that is Portland, now Oregon, we know so. why it's yeah. posted there. <laughs> now we know why that uh, there's such a strong push to uh, to get it located there. So, um, yeah, so look forward. In August uh, 2019, we'll be a whole slew of new podcasts covering uh, certain kinds of shows one minute at a time. <laughs> I'm looking forward, though, if it goes to Portland, Oregon, because I know that Voodoo Donuts place is like one, ah, of, the yes, big, the one of the big Donuts. tourist yeah. traps. I don't know if it's a tourist trap. Maybe it's a genuinely great restaurant. Like, But I'll have to go in. They'll be like, oh, so can I have a bun here? <laughs> Just to see what they say. I'm like, oh, it's another Irish guy. No, it's called a donut, you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So, so speaking of sweets and, and getting back to the movie, so after uh, Dell has kind of commandeered uh, Neil's la- lasagna and, and his bun slash roll slash uh, whatever it is, finally there's the brownie. And at first Neil speaks up, says, no, you're not taking the brownie. I'm going to have that. And then the, the one, I assume it's a woman, the woman in the scene in front of him flips her hair back and this long uh, chestnut brown hair flows down over the seat Onto the brownie. Funny gag. Definitely a funny gag. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's funny because at first, Dell's kind of sympathetic. He's like, oh, well, you know, he kind of gives Neil a look and he looks at the brownie. He's kind of like, oh, look at that. But then he's going to eat it anyway. Yeah. You know, Neil Neil is like, well, it's got hair all over it. I can't eat this now. And, and Dell's like, well, I'll eat it anyway. Yeah. Let's <laughs> go. I guess maybe it's showing that he understands that other people wouldn't eat this. But I'll eat it. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 the hair, though, I think it's so ridiculously long. And I was like, oh, it's almost as if no one would have hair that long. But then I did, um, it actually really reminded me of my friend from university, Rachel. And she, I haven't seen Rachel in years, actually. I'll have to keep track of how her hair is going because she never cut it. Mm, I didn't think she had never. cut it since she was like 14 or something. And we were like 19 at this point. And I remember it was down to like the backs of her knees. And she was oh, like wow. very, very proud of this. Like, yep, this is my long mane of hair. And uh, I was just like, oh, and she had the same kind of, it was that same chestnut kind of color. I was like, oh my God, this is like, she was on the flight somehow. <laughs> she traveled back to, yeah. so I haven't seen her in ages though. Rachel was like, she was really good fun, but she, she was one of those weird people that like actually followed through in the things she said she was going to do where like she showed up as an <laughs> art student and she's like, I'm going to live this bohemian lifestyle where I'm just going to like 
travel around and just be an artist. And you're just like, yeah, that never happens to anybody. And then she actually went and did it. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's right. what she does now. She just travels around, just right. doing art stuff and like working in installations. And Rachel, stuff. if you're listening. And because of that, though, I've not kept in contact with her because she's impossible to track down. She was supposed to be on the first season of Batman. It, and then it was just like one message of her going, yeah, I'll do that. And then never, never was followed up on. <laughs> so. so, Rachel, if you're listening, uh, get in touch with Niall. Yeah, let him know uh, how you're doing. Yeah, unless she's literally just become like more hair than person now. (laughs) (laughs) More hair than human at at this point. Literally, you'll be like, oh, it was was getting the cousin it territory. So you never know; she might have finally just like bought the little bowler hat, (laughs) just gone like, yep, I'm just putting it putting it down over the front as well. Lean into it. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, ultimately, I I think the scene was was right to go on the cutting room floor. Yeah, I think it, it, it also. Uh, so I think we, we didn't really mention the fact that, the, that they're having – it's not just a scene between Neil and Dell. They've, they've brought in the older person uh, who was sitting yeah, next to them. Bill, Bill Irwin um, is yeah is the uh, sitting on the window seat on the other side of, of Neil here. And I think when we recorded that first episode, we were, I think we were kind of saying that it's very strange that he's an identifiable actor who has nothing to do with this movie. Yeah, you find like, oh, he did have something to do. He was in this deleted scene. He was kind yeah. of like, and uh, yeah, it's more the fact that uh, Dell's trying to offer Neil's. He offers the bun originally, and of course, this whole mishap because he can't quite hear him and stuff. And um, <laughs> and actually, I remember when we were originally recording, I so I was sort of brought around to like, oh, actually, no, maybe I've been too hard in Dell and stuff. But this bit here, I think, it's like, no, this is very uncouth as well in the, in the way he words things because he starts like okay I've offered him this bun and he's like okay I'm gonna offer him I've, I've just taken over Neil's dinner now so it's like I'm offering him the salad as well and then he says like oh do you want the brownie and then Neil has to go like no I want the brownie and the way Dell says to him like oh he won't give you the brownie he's got a sweet yes, tooth yeah it's kind of like that's a bit of a dick move because that's making him Neil out to be the bad guy for not giving him the last bit of food that he's got. <laughs> and it's like, you guys, the, the, both of them already have full meals. So that was one bit. I was like, yeah, that, that again, that's another bit. I'm like, oh, no, Dell is kind of, he is kind, kind of, of a jerk. dick. Yeah. 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 But I think, I, I believe, Sean, you said this uh, back in day one, the escalating tension. And if this were to stay in the movie, I mean, it, you're kind of jumping the, you're kind of going quickly through uh, big situations you know he's getting on the plane he's late and now this is kind of a mess he doesn't even get to eat i like the fact that it's it's more steady you know if they without this scene they land in the hotel this kind of i think speeds up the tension if it stayed in is what i'm trying to say you, right yeah and i think that's where because it's only it's uh it's less than three and a half minutes yeah. it's not like it's gonna add much to the total length of the movie but right in terms of that the the tension and the dynamic between neil and dell it kind of ratches it up very quickly yes whereas once the plane gets diverted and they land they have to be we're kind of still close at the beginning we're still relatively early in the movie so yeah, it kind of it advances the the relationship a little bit too quickly, mm. and, and maybe that's why it was taken. Yeah, out. the flow is not as good with with this mm-hmm. scene in. I also wonder as well if there was any sort of legal problems. So the fact that Dell is openly talking about 
like actual airlines and stuff of like, oh, if I was on United, I say I'm a youngster, and then I got the the kitty meal. <laughs> I, w- I wonder if it's because he's basically talking about like, well, we all know that airline food is <laughs> deemed it's to be terrible, good, yeah. and so yeah. I'm just mentioning actual airlines, and maybe they were like, you can't say that. <laughs> you can't be just admitting that they like, oh, we have one one good meal, <laughs> and the rest of it's all terrible. Yeah, yeah. When I did notice, they never specify. He doesn't. He just says for the current meal. He just says, well, on this airline. I, I order the seafood salad. Yeah. He doesn't mention the, the, the current airline by name. And then it's just, well, if, if I was on these other lines, if I was on United or American and Delta, I think he mentions. But Yeah. Uh, I wonder yeah, if that's maybe, supposed yeah. to be uh, another little indication, though, of like an unsung thing of like just how every little thing is ganging up against Neil in that sitting next to a guy who's having seafood salad. The fish is a very strong oh. scent. <laughs> it's supposed to be like, yes, he. All, the guy next to him has also got like the stinkiest meal on the whole freaking flight as well. <laughs> they ordered the 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 uh, the yeah the fish. I hadn't thought of that. That's a good point. The, yeah. the fact that it is well, and I thought that was kind of a, just an odd an odd thing to have on a plane. Well, also because I would think. You know, as as Dell said about the lasagna, that oh seven, you know, seven hours ago maybe it was a meal, but it's been through so much with the delays and everything. Where I think seafood would be even less, you know, less fresh, you know, yeah. or more sensitive to the time. I would think something like like the kids' meal, just chicken fingers or something like that, would age much better than than fish. That, Unless, uh, you know, I guess maybe if it's a specialized meal that they've they've saved it for him and a specialized they've properly refrigerated it and stuff and well, maybe it's it's given special treatments in some way. Mm-hmm. But the thing is though, again, like we questioned so much that first episode of how much money Dell must have and how could you make a living traveling around with no home when you're a, a freaking shower curtain ring <laughs> shower salesman. curtain ring salesman. Yeah, find out now. You, not only can he afford all these flights, he can afford to order specialized meals on the flights, which I imagine probably costs extra. I was like, oh, the, 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 yeah, I don't know how this guy. It, it almost makes more sense that he's just a figment of Neil's imagination, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> so does Neil. <laughs> so does Neil order um, two meals? One for himself and one for his imaginary friend. Exactly. Yeah. I'll be, it's, I'll, it's, I'll be just more baffling, though, for the guy, for Bill Irwin, who's just like, this guy's talking <laughs> to me twice. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. It, it makes me wonder. Um, I don't know if you're familiar. There's a, a well, it's, a, it's, an, it's an Irish show, but it's, uh, I believe it, yeah, but, but available here in the States, uh, called Moon Boy. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, I know Moon Boy. Yeah. And it's a, a, you know about a young boy and his imaginary friend. And... Uh, and well, the imaginary friend is a, is an adult, is a full grown man, mm-hmm. and so most of the movie you see this young boy who's about 10, 11, 12, about that, you know, a young boy, and he's going out and he's playing, he's having all these childhood adventures with this grown man next to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but then every once in a while, they show a scene of what everyone else sees, and it's just this boy talking to himself, and everyone else, all the people around him, are kind of giving him strange looks because they're just hearing one side of. Of the conversation, so I imagine, uh, yeah, I imagine everyone else on the plane is wondering about who is this, you know, who's this guy talking to? He's sitting there with his two meals. I'll <laughs> say <laughs> well, so those Moon Boys, Chris O'Dowd, who's like one of these oh, celebrities yeah. in the UK, they're like, oh, we finally got rid of him. We successfully sold him <laughs> to the US. Like he's in everything oh, over I, there now. But it's like, oh, he was a thing over here for a bit, and then we're like, oh, yeah. get him shipped off to America. <laughs> oh, I think he's great. Yeah, I love Chris O'Dowd. 
But I'll, yeah, I'll take them if if you guys are done with them. Absolutely, we'll, we'll just, take yeah, them. I just made it mostly know him from uh, he was in the the IT crowd, which mm-hmm. was his big thing, and um, I wasn't a fan of the IT crowd because I remember like the I just no, I just never. It's one of those things because everyone else loves it, and it just never sat right with me. But because um, I remember the, though, yeah. they, they they tried to remake it in the US, and they I think the the US like uh, they have a habit of not getting a point of certain characters when they try to remake <laughs> UK things. Because Chris O'Dowd yes. is just like a very meh, average kind of lump of a man. Like, he's not, you know, I'm not saying he's hideous or anything, but he is just very, very, he's nothing particularly attractive about him. And then the US version, they cast Joel McHale, and he's like really suave and cool. And it's like, that's not the character, though. That's like, and then the same thing with Red Dwarf. They tried to remake that in the US, and they cast Lister, who's supposed to be a complete disgusting slob mm-hmm. and they got this really suave cool actor in to play him it's like oh people love this guy and it's like you're just supposed to like Lister because he's just he's likable but he is supposed to be like disgusting that's the whole point of him <laughs> um all right well so chris o'dowd if you uh you know if you'd like to offer a rebuttal to to that you're welcome uh <laughs> i'm pretty sure chris on the show anytime, knows yeah. He's one of those things, though. Like, he, I'm pretty sure he's fine with how he looks now because he's like a millionaire starring in movies and stuff. So. <laughs> well, he, he he's famous now for the Judd Apatow movies. I feel like even more so than yes. uh, It Crowd. Mm. Yeah, I'm always in Bridesmaids. I don't know if I've seen him in any of the other ones, but I'll, I haven't seen a lot of Judd, Judd Apatow's stuff, so I'll take your word for it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I could be wrong, but who knows? He did something. The thing is, we got him over there. You can have you guys enjoy your Chris O'Dowd. Just don't make sure like him and James Corden. Just keep them together in a little pen, and just make sure they stay in America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just taking a quick look. I know he was in the um, the Get Shorties. Uh, Get Shorty. They made a TV series. Oh yeah. Following up, right. not not the movie, but the, the the television series. I think it was on Amazon or Netflix or one of those streaming services. Uh, he was in that. Yeah, he's done some stuff. I think he did. I think he was on Girls as well for a bit. I think I I watched like three seasons of Girls, and then I just just went like, I can't stand this anymore. I don't know. I don't know why I think these characters are going to become likable at some point after three seasons. (laughs) But it was just a revelation of like, oh no, I hate all these people. (laughs) So yeah, yeah. According to IMDb, I've I've never seen. I must. I can. I can say I've never seen a single episode of Girls. But uh, yeah, according to IMDb, he uh, was in a. In a bunch of, uh, in a few episodes, I guess a handful. So there <laughs> he was the non-girl. Oh no, the, the non-girl was Adam Driver. <laughs> the not he's he, well the the non-Adam Driver yeah. non-girl. I think it's even Adam Driver. Driver admitted <laughs> that he never watched girls because <laughs> he was like, oh no, I can't stand it. Well, well, he lived it. He wouldn't have to. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're getting all ready for a buttload of Adam Driver now because I believe at the time of recording, Star Wars minutes starting tomorrow. For the Force Awakens, which is crazy. I didn't see that coming at all. Oh, is it? I yeah. I even uh, I know I know it's coming. I didn't I didn't realize there was. It seems to be so. the talk. Oh, I've seen on great. the I've seen on the listeners' side. That people going yep, Monday yeah. Monday. It's all Monday. They've changed the cover art. It's coming tomorrow. And it's like oh fuck. Bing! I thought it was gonna be like because it seems like Revenge of the Sith just ended. So yeah. I don't I don't feel like the, the, there's been a hiatus. It seems like oh shit. Oh, well, we're ready to go again. Okay. Hmm. All right, I I I may listen to that. We'll see. 
<laughs> um, well, so, so getting back to the uh, the planes, trains, and automobiles, that's uh, so that's about all I had to say about um, you know about this scene in particular. And I don't know if I've got much more to add on the movie in general. So, I mean, Niall, any anything else? No, I know that I mentioned uh, when we were messaging about this. Like, oh, yeah, we didn't mention that Ben Stein has a cameo in the movie. <laughs> but it's just oh, like... Yeah. yeah, in the airport. Yeah, it's just, yeah, Ben Stein's in it. <laughs> like, you remember him from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And I know he's much more famous in America, but I just know him as, like, yeah, the boring-voiced guy from Ferris Bueller, who apparently was, like, a speechwriter for Richard Nixon or something as well. But Yeah, I mean, that that's pretty much how we know him here in the States as well, as the... <laughs> The boring uh, Ferris Bueller's teacher guy, but uh, and then win Ben Stein's money. I I was just about to mention that because, like, I always remembered uh, there was a show in the UK that lasted one season called Win Beatles Money, which was apparent. It turns out it was a remake of Win Ben Stein's Money, but I didn't know that until like last week. But I remember because I was like the only person. In the UK, who seemed to watch and enjoy Win Beatles Money, where it was, uh, <laughs> it was uh, hosted by Jeremy Beadle, who was like a very beloved kind of candid camera. Like he used to do kind of punked before punked was a thing. And he's a middle aged man, had a weird withered hand. That was his major thing for kids, was that Jeremy Beadle had a weird hand. And uh, tragically, uh, Jeremy Beadle, now I more remember him because he died the same, I think it might have been the same week as Heath Ledger. And it was one of those things, because everyone was constantly talking about Heath Ledger dying. For Yeah, it was literally, I think it was in a couple of days. They died in like January of 2008, I think. And Jeremy Beadle's beloved UK figure, and then Heath Ledger, his he died before him, but Jeremy Beadle's death was still outshone by Heath Ledger. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame. It's, it's all about timing, you know, with those things. Um, yeah, I think the, the the big one I remember. I I'm not familiar with 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 Beetle. So, uh, but the the one thing that comes to mind in that situation is, uh, well, Farrah Fawcett died the same day or within a few days of Michael Jackson, mm. and uh, Farrah Fawcett yes. was sort of a, a a big star at one point, and you know not not as much towards the end, but uh, nowhere near as big as Michael Jackson. I mean, yeah. I'm sure there's there's a lot of you know other people that died that week that we'll we'll never hear of again just because that. Yeah, one big event kind of sucks all the news air out of the room. Uh, I think um, there was a similar... I'm Googling it as we speak. I think that Mother Teresa died like the same week as Princess Diana. And that was like a real... Like people were still talking about Princess Diana. And Mother (laughs) Teresa's like, oh, I don't know the way you. Like we we got this other person that people really like. So yeah, Diana's August 97. And they'll see Mother Teresa. Sorry, you have to edit this out. Oh, so, this is great podcasting right here. Uh, oh, uh, Miss Titan uh, yeah, Mother, so the first September ninety-seven. Oh yeah, so it must have been. Uh, yeah, so they've been very. The thing is, if you lived in like uh, you, in the UK or UK adjacent, like I did in ninety-seven, you didn't yeah. hear anything. But but Princess Diana dying for about three years—that was the only news yeah. they reported. <laughs> yeah. So the day, and I, I don't know if this is adjusted for. Um, you know, for for time zones, um, you know, India versus uh, UK. But yeah, Diana passed the day after um, Mother Teresa, <laughs> which, yeah, I mean, that was and I, I was kind of confused. That was really big news here in the States. And I'm like, you know, it's kind of a shame. I, I, a youngish woman, certainly too young to pass. And, um, you know, sad that she had, you know, anytime a parent that has young children 
um, you know, that they, they pass and it's really kind of sad for the children. But otherwise, it's, you know, not our princess. We kind of fought a war to get away from those folks. So why are we <laughs> why is it such a big deal here? I didn't quite understand. But uh, I am enjoying the fact, yeah. though, that uh, Brian merely mentioning when Ben Stein's money has now resulted <laughs> in us looking up the death dates of Princess Diana. Yeah. And Mother yeah. So now yeah, we, we, yeah, we go from Ben Stein to uh, to Mother Teresa and. Uh, you know what a real thing again. She was. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's funny because uh, uh, Penn and Teller used to have a show. The the magicians uh, Penn, Gillette, and, and Teller they used to have a, a show uh, bullshit, and they would just call they would just call call things bullshit, and it was usually things like uh, you know psychics or fad diets and, and things like that, and they'd go through the facts and have experts come in and say you know oh, this is this is bullshit kind of thing and. Um, you know, talk about like, you know, flat earth and, uh, mm-hmm. and and that kind of stuff. And then one of them was, I think it was a combo. It was Gandhi and Mother Teresa. Mm. <laughs> and they went over and like, oh, these people, you know, you think they're real good. And, you you know, they're, they're you know, you, you think they're heroes. They did all this good, but they're, they're really bullshit. And they really, uh, they, they took that Mother Teresa down a peg. I know that uh, she so. actually did get a major, major blow from, uh, there's books written about her by Christopher Hitchens. And he really was gunning for Mother Teresa. He was very much trying to demystify her. I know one of the books was called The Missionary Position. So you could see the attitude he had towards Oh, oh my. But, uh, but yeah, but he was, it wasn't in a kind of uh, pop journalism kind of way either. It was like he did the research. So, yeah, but, you know, who, who are we to come in and to start describing? Because we not done any research on the topic, really. But uh, to, to take down Mother Teresa in a planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> I believe they're doing uh, Chris O'Dowd next week on Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, so next week like on the show, yeah, yeah, next week it'll be Chris O'Dowd and Mother Teresa. You um, just hear like when Chris O'Dowd's called out and there's one guy in the back row just, woo, it's just me sitting in the audience. Did you take that guy down? So, All right, so, so yeah. Brian, and, and anything else you uh, uh The only thing I, I would have to him? say is it, what I've heard researching this movie is that he shot over 600,000 feet of film. Now, I don't know if it's accurate, but we have we do know that he shot a lot of film. We all agree mm-hmm. on that. And like you said, why this scene added to the Blu-ray? How many other scenes could there be? It's, it's, have you guys, have you had access to like in a shooting script where you've seen these other scenes or... I don't know of any. Yeah, no, I actually, I do have, <laughs> all right, confession time. I do have a script, uh, the, sh- the actual shooting script. I couldn't find any, uh, any, any rough drafts. And um, John Hughes is known. Uh, we might have mentioned this briefly. He, he'll write a, a draft. John Hughes will write a movie in three or four days, you know, very quickly. But then it'll go through... Uh, you know, 20, 25 revisions is not unusual. He'll do very long in the revising process. But uh, I wasn't able to find any of those earlier drafts, but I do have something uh, labeled Final Shooting Script, June 23rd, 1987. But I, I have to admit, other than other than the one scene where Neil is approaching the... Uh, <laughs> The rental counter for the for the car when he's approaching the counter for the rental car and, and complaining that you know he went to his spot and there was no car there. Um, other than that one scene, I actually haven't read it. 
It's just, uh, I I just would wonder why they, I mean, there must be a lot of deleted scenes and why this one is being brought out. Yeah. I mean, I I will say that there's the the, the script, it's it's in PDF form, but it's 165 pages. Whereas a typical movie script for a movie that's an hour and a half to two hours would be like 100, 120. So this this is a little long. It's just like... Planes, trains, and automobiles was like John Hughes's Apocalypse Now or something. <laughs> <laughs> or like Heaven's Gate. It's yeah. like, oh, yeah, you nearly yeah, bankrupted Heaven's- the studio to make it this stupid <laughs> Planes, Trains movie. And like, yeah, we only got like a 100-minute movie out of it, but like, I guess it's pretty yeah. good. Well, and they, they, they did go. I haven't heard any. I probably, you know, yeah. I, I didn't do any research on the budget or anything, but they were all over. They So a lot of, you know, we've talked about some of the shooting locations – um, they did a lot around Chicago and, and Illinois and sort of the Midwest of America. But then um, they had issues with uh, with snow. It was a warmer than expected winter. So then they had to move to upstate New York and they filmed a lot of stuff around Buffalo. So there's actually four. There's, there's a lot of different filming locations. I was a little surprised when you kind of look through all the different places they had to go through to get this done. And it seemed like you've got you've got all your actors and your support staff and the crew and the cameras and and all your other folks, all the people that are involved with um, with filming. I, you know, I, I don't know. It seems not much of this was filmed in a studio. Mm. Um, you know, I guess maybe like these interiors, like this, this, this plane interior, I don't imagine was filmed on an actual plane. Like, you know, this might've been done in a studio, but like the, the hotel stuff is done on actual hotels and the bus thing was filmed on a bus and, um, you know, all, mm-hmm. a, a lot of the stuff on the road and, and the, the train stuff was filmed. They found a, you know, a train and a, an abandoned stretch of track that they could film on. So, uh, a lot of on location stuff, mm. um, Apparently, uh, yeah. So, so, yeah. John Hughes taking a little bit of his uh, his inner Coppola, I suppose, just kind of <laughs> making it a big deal. Yeah, I just wonder why. Like, even, like I'm not a filmmaker, and I've, all I've ever heard is like shooting in snow, either doing it practically or even in the studio is an inherent nightmare. Do you just wonder why anyone does it? <laughs> like why does Why does anyone set a movie in the winter? Just yeah, is, uh, yeah. One one of the things we we talked about. Um, when I was doing Groundhog Day with my buddy Dave Palace, and, and a lot of that it was done in the winter and, and on site or on location in Woodstock, Illinois. Um, yeah, because one of the problems with snow is if, you know, when you do retakes, if there's footsteps in the snow and then, okay, we want to do another take, well, someone's got to go through and kind of cover up all the footsteps and, and not leave new footsteps while they're walking over to cover up the, the footsteps the actors made. And, <laughs> and it's very hard to, to kind of keep it consistent unless you can get it, you know, right on the first take. So, uh, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. um, listen from the, the Shining 237, I know, uh, Susan, that like she uh, came out with the, the other week, she met with one of the people behind like the you know in charge of the Kubrick archives and stuff and he was saying like because uh, you know everything all that stuff at the, at the end in the maze that's all a set that's not a real hedge maze it's all you know, it was all done inside and apparently the fake snow was actually toxic like it was literally like how oh. people survived it how Danny Lloyd like the little kid survived it is a miracle because it's <laughs> apparently there is they have little samples of the snow and people aren't allowed to touch it not because it's precious, but because like, oh no, it it's degraded so bad, like, <laughs> it will kill you if you touch the snow. So there is a kind of thing like, yeah, the, everyone in, worked on The Shining 
should be dead because of the, <laughs> the toxic fake snow that Stanley Kubrick insisted on using. But somehow... Well, look at survived. Batman Returns. Batman Returns. It's all snow. It's all fake. Yeah. That's also all mm-hmm. studio as well. It's, yeah. 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 We've really noted because like, oh, yes, they've got that one set for Gotham City. Much like the first movie. Like, oh, there's the Monarch Theater. Oh, there's the museum. And like this one's like, there's Gotham Plaza. Yep, it's Gotham Plaza. That's like, Gotham Plaza. No matter what scene it is, like, oh, they're outside. Oh, no, it's Gotham Plaza. Yep, that's the same damn, same damn set they've been using the whole time. So, yeah, other than that, that's uh, pretty much it that I've got for this scene. All right, so that, that sounds like uh, that's about it from us for, uh, for this deleted scene and for this movie, this great Thanksgiving classic, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. So, uh, yeah, Niall, thanks, thanks again for, for coming back. Brian, oh, thanks for for you know for co-hosting. Yeah, yeah but the, congratulations to making it to the end of another movie, Sean. It's like, this well, is I feel your, like, yeah. this is like it's your fourth now. This is Spinal Tap, Groundhog Day, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. So the like, yeah, guy's your fourth fourth movie under your belt. <laughs> I do the. I, you know, I, I, I need to learn how to take compliments better. So thank you. But I, you know, I look at someone like, uh, you know, the, the folks that are doing Harry Potter minute. Um, I mean, by the time, you know, <laughs> I did this, you know, three episodes or, or this with, you know, it's kind of the, the deleted scene, four episodes versus uh, or the folks that are doing, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings, the extended edition where it's <laughs> minute you know, by it's minute, three hours, one minute at a time. Wow. I say we were, you're talking about those guys yeah. like friggin' like Gary Roby and Scott Corelli are just like their their break from a podcast is hosting another podcast. It's right. Like, yeah. Those guys don't know how to stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, Gary uh, and Victoria, Cassandra. I mean, they're just, you know, podcasting machines. So <laughs> I feel kind of cheated. We just did it, uh, you know, one day at a time. But uh, yeah, we, we did make it to the to the end of the movie. I guess that's the important thing. It's not it's not how you did it, but that that you did it. <laughs> well, and hopefully how we did it was, was acceptable too. So yeah, listeners, thank you for, uh, you know, for, for, for hanging out with us and, and sharing your holiday. If you're in, you know, in those States and territories that celebrate Thanksgiving, have a, a good one. If you're, if you're elsewhere, then just have a good Thursday. Um, and you can, you can have some Turkey too, um, as well. You don't have to be in the U S for that. So, um, all right. Happy, Happy Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, everyone. And, uh, Oh, and, and hang out. We'll see you. We'll see you in a few weeks when we start doing. Uh, I'll be doing Scrooge by Ghost with yeah. my buddy uh, Christopher Dennis DeGuardia. Um, so that's a, you know that doesn't exactly break down by day, but we'll do it. Uh, well, you know what? Just you'll see. You'll hear it when we do it. You'll know what we're doing, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you then. So long. Yeah. Bye. Yeah, gotta work on the sign off. <laughs> hey, we're done bit, talking now. It's over. It's a bit late for that now. Yeah, well, we'll yeah. <laughs> I feel like I, I want to do like the Ferris Bueller thing. Like, uh, oh, you're still listening? Go home. Yeah, right. <laughs> but you probably maybe you're already home, or you're driving. You're on your way home. You're listening in your car, and then stop listening when you when you get there. <laughs> I don't think the sign off is that important on a podcast. I feel like it's it's okay to just kind of end. Yeah, I was listening to one podcast and, and they, they didn't have music. I'm so used to things having like intro music and outro music. And it was just at the end where the host is just like, bye. And then yeah. it ends. And I'm like, you know what? That that kind of worked. I didn't, you know. Yeah, it works. So that's your, it that's works. radio. Signing off is for radio. That's, that's a, a relic. <laughs>